So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. This is 19th century masturbation. <laughs> I shall see you in the drawing room. It's a brutal masturbation, Mr. Fosworthy. Shall we just now leave the women folk on their own with the port and we'll take our cigars and penises? <laughs> Retire to the drawing room for some onanism. Smashing Security, Episode 320, City Jerks, AI Animals, and Is the BBC Hacking Again, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 320. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And this week on the show, Carol, we are joined by a very special guest, someone who's been on the show plenty of times before. It is the co-host of The Lazarus Heist, as well as uh, cybercrime author Jeff White. Hello, Jeff. Hi, hi. How are you guys doing? Oh, Jeff, it's so good to have you back. You've It's been months, actually, since we've spoken. Has it? Feels, feels like only yesterday. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> you were hounding me to appear on your podcast again. Oh. Yeah. It's been a while, yeah. yeah. You're yeah. a busy guy, though. What have you been up to? Um, so yes, I've been writing a book, and the book is about money laundering and technology. It's going to be out next year. And it's basically leading on from a lot of the work I've done around sort of North Koreans and other cyber criminals, because I've sort of realised the one thing a lot of them have in common, a lot of, along with a lot of other criminals, is money laundering. You know, they all, when they make their money, they all need to wash it somewhere. And, and tech has played a, a huge and pivotal role in that activity. So I'm exploring that, which has been fun. Oh my uh, God, I bet it has. Yeah. So Jeff, I was wondering, is it because you've learned so much about how much money can be made through North Korean hacking and cybercrime and all the rest <laughs> of it, and your podcast and your books and everything, that you're now showing this interest in money laundering, what to do with all this money you're making? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm trying to pick up some tips so I can uh, I can wash the millions of pounds I've got stacked uh, in my room. That's actually the soundproofing for this podcast. That's why the audio sounds so good, because I, I, I've stacked up my banknotes behind me in a huge pile. <laughs> Brilliant. But before we kick the show off, let's thank this week's wonderful sponsors, Bitwarden, Collide and Outpost24. It's their support that helps us give you this show for free. Now, coming up in today's show, Graham, what do you got? I'm going to be taking you to a couple of rather unsavoury websites. Oh, I don't know if I want to go there. (laughs) Jeff, what about you? We'll be talking about scammers and telly. Cool. And I'm talking about AI, robotics, and the animal kingdom coming together. All this and much more are coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. 
Now, chums, chums, you remember, of course, Ashley Madison, the popular mm. adultery website hacked back in 2015. So long ago now, but it seems like yesterday. Blast from the past, yeah. Was it not made popular because it got hacked? I think that certainly, it certainly made it a household <laughs> name, didn't it? Yeah. It, previous to that, if you did hear about Ashley Madison in your household, then that wasn't necessarily good news. But <laughs> suddenly it was being mentioned in the mainstream newspapers, on the TV, um, after the Impact team, a hacking gang, demanded that it got mm. shut down and some of its sister sites, Cougar Life and established men and some other great repeatable sites <laughs> yeah oh absolutely absolutely and there was a huge furore about it because the database was being shared publicly just to chime in the the, the sites you mentioned there it's interesting the ashley madison they went after but you're right there were two other sites established men and cougar life mm. established men was for older men looking for younger women and cougar life was older women looking for younger men they they demanded the closure of ashley madison and established men but i think they were okay with Cougar Life. As I remember, I don't think they wanted... They That's had no problem. I own secretly, so we'll leave that one alone. Yeah. So I had to chime in there, because as soon as you mentioned those names, I remembered that was the case. All of them, I, as far as I know, are still operating. Yeah, um, yeah, Ashley Madison claimed to go from, from one success to another. And I remember when I visited their website once, um, purely for research, uh, they said, as seen on Channel 4 and ITM. No. And didn't it's like, well, yeah, of course you have been. Um, so anyway, the database which was stolen from Ashley Madison of people who were looking to commit adultery, looking for someone to hang up with, even though they were in relationships, that was shared publicly. I just bet a lot of them actually aren't committing adultery. They're just pretending to commit adultery. They're actually just single. Right. Well, that anyway. that certainly is possible. Um, and of course, it, it did turn out there were a lot of fembots up there as well. So Ashley mm-hmm. Madison claimed if you did create an account on there, you'd very quickly get a message from a, a woman, uh, someone claiming to be a woman at least, saying, oh, you know, maybe we can chat. All you have to do is pay $15 to sign up for the <laughs> VIP membership. And it turned out that a lot of that was actually automated. But anyway, these this database of users leaked onto the internet and websites sprung up which made it easy for anybody to search for their partner their boss their neighbor their politician to see if they were a member of the site you know pretty embarrassing for those millions and millions of ashley madison users who are affected we did it they did it on air didn't they on a radio station in australia live on air it's amazing isn't it yeah it was Incredibly contentious, that stuff. And they didn't properly verify people's identities. So you could create an account claiming to be Tony Blair at Downing Street or something like that. And bing, bing, bing. Is that the most exciting person you can think of? (laughs) Really? It's Tony Blair? He's a pretty sexy man. Really? (laughs) Really? Wow. Who would you want to see on the Ashley Madison database then, Carol? Go on. (laughs) (laughs) This This will be revealing. I think Carole, would you who would you like? Lionel Richie? I mean who's who would you uh, be looking for? Jeff Goldbaum, obviously. Oh Jeff. <laughs> okay. Well, if you thought that Ashley Madison was pretty not safe for work, I've got some news for you. I'm because... totally wrong. <laughs> no, no. I, 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 government employees are encouraged to install this app. It was, it was obviously not safe for work, but something even worse has happened because hackers have once again stolen email addresses, direct messages, other personal data, including profile pictures, sex orientation, date of birth, city, state, IP addresses, biographies of people on a couple of different sites. I wouldn't necessarily call them conventional dating, however. 
Mm. They serve a somewhat a different niche. And what kind of niche? I have to say, Crow, well, I'm a little bit nervous about going into this story because I know how you like me to be a bit more prudish. You think sometimes maybe you're a pervert. I'm pushing things a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know about pervert, but well. there's, there's, you know, it's it's slightly on the borders of the normal. So there is a website which has just suffered a breach. Mm-hmm. 77,000 of its users have had their details leaked. They've, they've come out. And at least, sometimes it's just the details. It's a good thing. Right? It's, 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 well, so the site is called City Jerks. And oh, God. CityJerks.com. It's not for people who cut you up going around the roundabout. It's not for. <laughs> You know, it's not for people who work in finance who are a bit of an arsehole. City Jerks is a website which is devoted to the subject of mutual masturbation. So if you, the way in which it sells itself is if you are in a relationship and you don't want your relationship to go sour, but things are getting a little bit dull to prevent you. (laughs) Go wank with a friend. (laughs) Wanking with friends would have been a better. (laughs) Wanking with friends, the website for you. Yeah. Yeah, we've had we've had words with friends. This is wank yeah, with friends. Yeah, and then and then you can feel totally you can feel totally uh, you know angelic that you haven't yes, cheated. Yes, right? cheated. Yeah. Is yeah. this on uh, Zoom or something? Is this uh, well? Is this... I th- I think those sort of details are really up to the individual users. Um, oh right, sorry, I haven't looked into it. I'm sorry. If you did exchange details, maybe you could have a video link up. But I think from my browsing of the site, can I say with a VPN through a private browser window, (laughs) um, from my browsing of the site, it does appear that there are all kinds of sub-communities on cityjerks.com, depending on what your particular thing you're looking for. Some people do go for in-life meetups, where I Mm -hmm. think they go into a, you know, a drawing room, a group of them, and they jerk off together. This is 19th century masturbation. <laughs> I shall see you in the drawing room. It's a mutual masturbation, Mr. Falsworthy. Shall we just now leave the women folk on their own with the port and we'll take our cigars <laughs> Retire and to the drawing room for some onanism. They would call it onanism as well. Onanism so, in the drawing room. Yeah. Just, okay, okay. So, I'm just trying to, let's, let's get out of the gutter. Okay, of course we are, of course we are. Or the drawing room, sorry. So, yes, so some people meet in person, some people maybe do it on the phone, maybe some people do it on email. I don't know, saying, okay, you know, I'm having a tug now, and the other one replies back to you. Okay. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know exactly what's happening. But anyway, the fact is that these details have come out, right, regarding this site. Now, this is obviously quite embarrassing for these individuals. Yeah, you wouldn't have a business card, would you? <laughs> well, well <laughs> Hi, CEO, City Jerk. <laughs> right. Uh, no, that's, well, no. It turns out the City Jerk Empire doesn't stop at jerking off because they have a sister site which has also been breached. Oh, God. Now, I'm, I'm somewhat less comfortable naming this site than the previous one. Maybe, maybe you'd like to guess... Um, what this other site might be called. So we've had City Jerks. Um, guess the sexual activity. Guess the sexual activity. Yes, that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll have some quiz music. Okay, so the first one. Oh, no, we're not playing, Graham. We're not The person playing. who gets closest wins, all right? Come You're on, on your okay. own. Let's, let's uh, open this up. Jeff. 
Oh, drop me in it. Right. Well, how about farm farm fottery then in that farm case? Fr- People who like to hang out on farms and rub themselves against things. That's my guess. That's, come on, off the t- off top of my hat, that's pretty good. That's, You've got to admit, yeah, that's very almost good. a viable business. Crow, do you have any any suggestions? Uh, an obsession with large monuments. Oh, okay, right. So you know, maybe someone who, for instance, is going to you know trifle around with the Eiffel Tower or something <laughs> exactly, like that. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Okay. Though neither of those. No, I think maybe what you're not thinking of is trucker sucker. Dot com. Oh, and god. oh god. Please, it's not funny. Who comes it's up with the name? State. Well, I think they're geniuses. Trucker Sucker is the online social home and dating. I think I know. App. <laughs> yeah, we can guess what? Go guess. I think I got it. <laughs> for real truckers, it says, and real men. So if you are looking for a relationship with a trucker, or if you are a trucker and you want to be off then this is the site to go to. And they invite men to join. The, it seems Some a bit sexist to me. people are on like the treadmill right now listening to this. Right. Just at breakfast. <laughs> well, the thing is, these users are encouraged. That, well, they're told actually under the terms of the membership. And by the way, you can pay up to $20 a month for membership of these sites. They ask you to upload photographs, not of anything rude, of your face. And they say it has to be your full face, no mask, no cartoon images. No deep fakes. <laughs> and so people's real images, and I've been to truckersucker.com, are on this site. And you can, just as with City Jerks. Okay, how many do you think really used their face as opposed to their Uncle Dave's or something? Well, poor old Uncle Dave. <laughs> I know, I agree. <laughs> and I wonder as well, what email address are they logging in with? Because... It's an interesting question, isn't it? If you are going to join City Jerks, for instance, do you use your personal Hotmail address, which maybe mm-hmm. your wife can log into, or do you use your work email address, your government email address instead? Lots of potential here for blackmail and for abuse. If you're an idiot, yeah. Yes, obviously. But yes. people will, I suspect, be using these details. And according to... Troy Hunt, who of course runs the Have I Been Boned website, um, he he's saying that the encryption used on the passwords uh, was really monumentally weak, and so it's likely it will be yeah. cracked. And those passwords, if you're using the same password for City Jerks as you're using for your, I don't know, as you're using for your bank, as you're using for your Amazon, as you're using for your work account, all kinds of calamity could be taking place. You know, it bugs me, though, because, like, I had a friend over on this weekend. She's in dating, right? And she just went to a brand new dating site. So she tried all the big ones and she said she didn't like it. So she's gone for one. She's quite a – she's curvy, right? She's a curvy girl. And uh, so she's gone for a dating kind of site that is bespoke for that. So, like, if you like curvy women, come here. You like curvy people, come here. And she says it's like – you know, like it's fantastic. She's like dating left, right, and center, and having the time oh, of really? her life. Yeah. Oh, cool. But like to your point, it's a smaller place. Who knows how good its mm. security is? On City Jerks, you can be sure there'll be an SSL handshake at the very <laughs> least, right? I mean, oh, this was all leading up to that. I know wasn't it, exactly. It was one gag at the end. Of that come episode. on, come on, come on. We all need to come together. 
Um, so let's. I think we shouldn't be too snobby about these sites. Obviously, people are using mm-hmm. these maybe for legitimate reasons. Who are we to judge? Who are we to shame? Nobody. We're judging the companies that are putting up these sites exactly. and not actually they're, protecting they're them. Security, yeah. And yeah. the cybersecurity experts should be offering them a helping hand. I really. Otherwise, we're all going to end up in a great big mess. Who's the CIO um, of Trucker Sucker? That's what I want to know. Well, I haven't looked him up on LinkedIn. Shall I look him up right now? Yeah. Let's, let's look up LinkedIn. It's okay, LinkedIn. I'm, I'm logging in right now to LinkedIn. Cohen Company, Trucker Sucker. Trucker Sucker. Let's just see. Oh, God. Are you using an anonymous window again? Oh, VPN no, I'm not. Oh, damn. Now he's going to know that I've viewed him. You see, Quick. this is how so <laughs> Rever- many people get caught. Reverse, reverse. <laughs> <laughs> Delete my account. I mean, I'll advise people to delete their accounts right yeah. now. Yeah. Really glad you came on the show, Jeff. Glad you came on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's too late to back out. <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, what have you got for us this week? <laughs> I'm um, I'm going to do- go down a, a slight, slightly more serious and, and certainly less sexual Thank route. Lord. I'm, I'm going to be talking about um, a program, BBC program called Scam Interceptors. Okay. Um, which your August listeners, some of them may be forgiven for not having uh, come across because. It's a daytime TV program. So Scam Interceptors is a 10 a.m. BBC One program. Mm. And it has to be said, you know, among the sort of pantheon of daytime TV programs, Scam Interceptors, for me, aims conspicuously higher than a lot of the daytime TV fodder you get. The idea is it's about, as the name suggests, scammers, internet scammers who make these scam phone calls and try and trick people into paying money or their credit card details or installing software in some cases, all those types of scams. Um, and I will say, I just want to set at the beginning, I have conflicted feelings about this. So hmm. I, and I'll Ooh. try and make that clear as I go along. Okay. I am no friend of the scammers, as anyone who's followed my career will know. I have covered, you know, multiple instances of venal fraudsters. And these people are horrible. There is a certain level of hell reserved for people who phone up, particularly older people. They seem to yep. target older people and trick them out of their money and actually listen to the person on the other end, you know, in some cases crying. I think you are a, a, a person who's dead inside if you do that. So I've got no friend of these people. Hmm. However, I have got some concerns about the program and sort of the way it's done because they are intercepting these calls as they happen and these communications as they happen. So the scammers will phone a victim. The TV crew, the, the, the people in the program, intercept these calls, listen to them, and then try and contact the victims and say, hey, that guy you just had on who said he was from HSBC or that woman who said she was at Amazon, these are fakers, they're scammers, please don't pay them. And in some cases, they try and actually terminate the scammer's call and interfere and cut them off. As I can see on my system that you're looking for a loan amount of £1,000 for two years with a monthly installment £70 a month, right? Okay, I'm calling it now. Okay, no problem. As we're trying to intercept, the first scammer has handed the call over to a more experienced colleague. So give me one minute only, I'm doing some legal formalities, I'm making a file over here. He'll be a closer, the person who takes the payment for the fake loan. So the scammer's now taking her through the final stages of this. Just give me one minute. She's not answered. So if we can't get through to this woman, she's going to pay out right now. So how do they know about it? I'm sorry, I'm missing some point. So like, okay, there's an older lady, she's getting a call. How do they know? An excellent question. An Ah. excellent question. This is where the concerns come in. There is a chap who's quite well known called Jim Browning, who is a sort of scam beta kind of person, scam targeter, Um, does a lot of research about this and has worked himself with the BBC before, as have I, by the way. I've not got a problem with the BBC. I'm freelance for them myself. Um, 
he worked notably with Panorama on a program a few years ago, and he actually got footage, CCTV footage from inside one of these scam factories, which I'm pretty sure was in India. Yeah. And this became a program Panorama made about in, inside the scam yeah. factory, etc. Now, it, it, again, perhaps I didn't read the right article, but I couldn't quite figure out how that access had been gained to that CCTV. Mm. This program is again working with Jim Brown, which, by the way, isn't his real name, to basically penetrate these kind of scam exercises and scam you know, factories that are, that are operating. And that's how they're able to work out who they're phoning and to intercept those calls and apparently sometimes hang up on them. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I'm not a fan of the scammers' mm. work, but I'm also cagey about how this access is being gained and... and yeah. The BBC are incredibly risk-averse, and I say that as I say somebody's worked for them, so I can't believe they haven't gone through all the right processes. But I just, I don't know, is it, is it just me who's thinking a bit like, well, I'm, not, I'm not sure about this, how's that? Interesting your thoughts. I think you're right, because it, it's basically the TV programme which has made the decision, well, this kind of crime is okay to commit, because chances are this is happening because, in some fashion, the systems being run by these Indian call centres have been compromised. Mm. Mm, yes. And so they're able to find out who's been called and listen in on the calls and, and yes. cause mischief and so forth. Yes. So that sounds like hacking to me, doesn't mm-hmm. it? And if you start hacking into scam companies and scam call centres, there's the potential that you are damaging evidence which police could be gathering against those criminal groups because you're compromising the situation, as well as, of course, committing a crime yourself. It, it doesn't purely for entertainment, or is this really, I don't know, spreading the word? I haven't seen the programme, so I don't know. But what, what are the people? Are they mostly older victims? or it's, it's, it's a variety. It's a variety. In fairness, the new season of this started yesterday, so so I've, I've, uh, I've, I've watched a couple of programmes from the previous one. I've never watched it. I'm going to watch it. I just, I'm not a normal yeah. TV. I love TV, but I mm. just don't tend not to do it in the day. When I say it's daytime TV, it is on iPlayer, so you can watch it. At any time. This has now become work for me, so I can watch this tomorrow morning. <laughs> Look, I, you know, there are possible answers to this. It may be that there is a way to, you know, lawfully intercept this kind of, because it does seem to be interception, lawfully do that. I, I, I'm sort of struggling to kind of think how that would be, but it could be there is a way of doing that. And actually, to answer your question, Graham, part of the point of the series is they say, look, you know, we've tried to tell the police in countries mm. like, for example, India, where some of this is based, and they they haven't done anything about it. That's true. And yeah. let's face it, police in the UK are overwhelmed. So that's perhaps that's how they'd argue and say, look, you know, we would poli- report to the police if we think they'd do anything about it. And in a way, that's what makes it Greek TV. It is on the borderline of of quite contentious issues. Um, but I just thought I'd bring it up because I'd be interested. I was interested to hear what you guys think of it. And I, I, mm. Your listeners can go away and have a have a look at it and see whether they think. I'm definitely going to watch it. I, it does make me feel uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and there are things which I know the BBC have done in the past as well. Years ago, BBC Click, which is their technology spot. Mm. Um, if I recall correctly, they compromised a botnet and then they did something with the botnet to prove their yeah. point. Or yes. And it was like, well, hang on, you're using other people's computers without their permission. You know, we're not saying that the crime isn't taking place, which is being run by criminals, but what you're doing as well hasn't really... You know, they, they, they didn't really step carefully enough about it, and I didn't really like what they did there. And sometimes they're doing things to make an impressive TV programme, I think, without necessarily thinking of all this. Who are we to judge if this is better 
than not doing anything. I, well, so, this is the thing. I it, think it, without watching it, nothing. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't. Happy, I recommend people have a watch of it, and I'm well sending, yeah. sending viewers their way, which I'm happy to do for, for the purposes of judging this kind of thing. Have a watch of it, see what you think. But, uh, but yeah, I just think it's an interesting debate, and it's 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 one I think needs to be had. Whichever side you come down of it, you just have to think about you know what you're happy with and what you're comfortable with. Um, but yeah, yeah, interesting. If we if we really don't like what these scammers are doing, and we're capable of intercepting their phone calls, couldn't we play the latest episode of ITV's Loose Women at them down the phone, or maybe the Piers Morgan on his YouTube channel, <laughs> something like yeah. that? Let's, let's really make life hell for the scammers. Just Baby Shark over and over again. <laughs> baby Shark. <laughs> <laughs> now that I would tune into. I would. I would love to watch that. Just play them Baby Shark. Hacked your phone do 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 Hacked your phone do 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 Crow, what story have you got for us this week? Uh, so robotics, right? Specifically AI and robotics together. It's a pretty exciting field right now. And I thought we could talk about how animals, other than humans, and AI-powered robotics are intersecting. It's mm-hmm. not something I've ever covered right. before in the 319-odd shows that I've done, which is saying okay. something, isn't it? Mm, yes. <laughs> Although I don't think you've covered anything like Trucker Sucker, so... And I've actually covered quite a lot of stories like that, to my shame. <laughs> Let's be honest. Every time I've been on, from what I've seen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've narrowed my story down to two pieces of academic research uh, where these two worlds collide in interesting ways. And the first kind of animal-robot research I want to introduce... Actually, actually, I'm just going to start with a quote of the Science Daily article from last week. So it starts, Human and horses have enjoyed a strong working relationship for nearly 10,000 years. Okay, a partnership that has transformed how food was produced, people were transported, and even how wars were fought and won. And the question is, can Mm -hmm. these age-old interactions between people and their horses teach us something about building robots designed to improve our lives? No, no, they can't. That's <laughs> my quick answer. <laughs> University of Florida says yes. Well, the answer is yes. Oh, okay. Right, right okay. good. Yeah. But we have a few findings, and I'm interested in your thoughts on it. So you, the article talks to a researcher from the University of Florida about her recent paper called How a Horse Whisperer Can Help Engineers Build Better Robots. And the idea came as researchers wanted to improve how humans interact with autonomous vehicles and other forms of AI. Right? It has to be able to say how far something is, don't hit this thing. And the researchers were like, this has happened before, right? Horses, you know, can do this intuitively. We've taught them how to do it in our relationship, working with them over a millennia. To tell us how far it I've never had a horse tell me how far it was to go. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a really good point. You know, how much does the horse like this relationship, right? Who's asked the Mm. horse? Yeah. I, I would think horses wouldn't like it. You'd, you'd be like, yeah. you know, why the long face? You know, come on, guys. What's the problem? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm loving all the heavy machinery uh, that you're tying to me so I can pull it through a field. <laughs> right. Or love the tourists, you know, in the crowded cities. Love all that. Um, but maybe they didn't have much choice in the matter, right? Uh, and maybe in the beginning, robots won't either. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? This comes down to one of the things about, about robotics and AI is that because AI is so difficult to sort of pin down, it's such a sort of nebulous... Uh, and thorny topic. Certainly, whenever I was trying to do it, you know, as a journalist, particularly for TV, they'd always want you to film a robot, and you'd have to sort of say, "Well, that's yeah. not necessarily AI." You could put AI into a robot, but the two things aren't 
aren't equivalent. You, you can have robots that aren't AI and AIs that aren't robots. So it strikes me with this, they're sort of, they're aiming at quite a narrow field of where robotics and AI will, will come together. Yeah. Well, it's in, yeah. So they apparently the, this multidisciplinary collaboration involved expertise from engineering and animal science and qualitative research methodologies. And they, you know, contacted equine behavior and management programs at the university and spent months observing classes. Horse experts were involved, thoroughbred trainers, devoted horse owners, and they collected all this data, which presumably they used AI to crunch. And you want to know what they've learned. They learned two interesting things. One is a horse speaks with its body, right? So its ears point to where something catches its Mm -hmm. attention. And the thought is that perhaps they could build similar types of nonverbal expressions in robots, like ears that point (laughs) when there's a knock on the door, if you had a digital, Mm -hmm. you know, a robo dog or something, or something visual in the car when there's a pedestrian on the side of the street, for example. See, I thought you were going to say if you had a horse in your living room, if you were deaf, (laughs) it would tell you there's someone at the door. That's what I was picturing. I I thought this maybe wouldn't a light bulb be easier? You know, how is this helpful? How is this? How is this helpful to have a a robot in your house? You have to like look at look at where its ears are bloody pointing to work out what it's doing. Just tell me, tell me where the problem is. Don't point your ears at it. I don't want to interpret the signals, the the modern dance signals. Oh, this is like your nightmare. See, I quite like this. I think these things would help. Like, I think that what they're trying to achieve... Of course you'd like it, Carol. Years ago, you told us all that you wanted to marry a horse. You said if you couldn't find a right man... <laughs> well, that was just to entertain a dinner party, Ensemble. Oh, OK. There's another thing they learned, which was, or they, they are thinking about, is the notion of respect. So when a horse trainer first works with a horse, they look for signs of respect from the horse for its human partner. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, could that notion not be applied to a robot? Would we be more comfortable with them if they had tells to show us that they respected us as masters or as partners? You know, I'd be like, hey, Graham, you're such a swell guy and I'm loving this request. <laughs> loving it. High five. <laughs> or, oh, my God, Jeff, you're the smartest man out there. <laughs> Would they be disappointed I couldn't swivel my ears, though? I mean, is because I can't. Should people who... <laughs> no, no, but you you talk with your face, right? Your your eyebrows, you know, will rise. One of the places, yeah. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. Not very much. <laughs> well, I have another case study, and I'm going to flip this whole notion of animals helping us with robots on its head and look at how AI robots are helping us better understand animals. And this right. is all about digital bioacoustics. Okay, this Uh is from an article in Scientific American. The concept relies on a very small, portable, lightweight digital recorder, which are like miniature microphones that scientists are installing everywhere from the Arctic to the Amazon. And you can put these microphones on the backs of turtles or whales. You can put them deep in the ocean or in the highest mountaintop or attach them to birds. I'd be pretty pissed off if I was a tortoise. I know. <laughs> what if you were just walking through nature thinking you're completely on your own and you burst into song? Yes. I'm a little teapot, say. Right? Well, you don't want that recorded. Yeah, who, who owns who owns the rights to all this stuff exactly? Does Simon Cowell know about all of this? You know? A tortoise doesn't move fast enough to avoid the microphone being put on them. At least, you know, faster animals can outrun you. Oh. But, you know. <laughs> 
So they can record continuously 24-7 in remote places that scientists can't easily reach. Even in the dark, they can record without the... Dis- How are these powered? I don't know. How do they collect the recordings? I don't know, but they get a lot of data. Okay, there's a data deluge that comes from this. And this is where AI comes in because it's the same... Uh, you know, natural language processing algorithms that we use to teach other things to be able to detect patterns in non-human communication. So there's this this researcher from Berlin, University of Berlin, who studies bee communication. And when honeybees speak to one another, apparently it's with their body movements, right, as well as sound. Mm-hmm. Now, computers and particularly deep learning algorithms are able to follow this because you can use computer vision combined with natural language processing. So they've reportedly got these algorithms to a point where they're actually able to track individual bees, plus they're able to determine what impact the communication of an individual might have on another bee. And so the next step was to encode this information into a robot they called RoboBee. Okay, and after seven or eight prototypes, <laughs> our Berlin-based researcher came up with a bee that could enter a hive and it would essentially Whoa. emit commands that the honeybees would obey. That's so interesting, isn't it? Yes, it's crazy. Scale that up, you've got like world domination, haven't you? I mean, basically, if you could get, yes. if you could do humans and like yes. do the body language and the communication, just run the same thing as in the bee colony. Whoa, you know, yeah, that's impressive. So apparently RoboBee goes in there and says, hey, everybody, shush your shusher signal. And all the bees quiet. Make more honey. Make more. Okay, make more honey. Fine. All right. Stop making honey. Stop making. This is brilliant. Absolutely amazing. You know, there's so many things like, do animals lie to each other? Do, you know, <laughs> and what do you do if, you know, do they recognize a fib? Do they trust them repeatedly? Oh, that's so interesting. I know you should never play cards with a cheater. I know that. That's one <laughs> thing you've got to be. watch out for. <laughs> I think this is I think this is genuinely fascinating, Carol, but I have to say, as you were saying it, the one place my brain went was if I was in control of the Robo B, I'd just do something stupid like trying to get them all to dance in a conga. <laughs> yes. yes. The Macarena. Yeah. That would be the first thing I'd do. <laughs> get them to do the Macarena. Yes, exactly. So you would ruin our honey harvests. <laughs> but imagine the TikTok views that Jeff would get if he did that. That's the thing. That's why he's oh, doing it. Seriously, Jeff White is dancing bees. <laughs> <laughs> This week's sponsor, Outpost 24, delivers smarter cyber risk management, making it easy to identify security gaps in your attack surface and prioritize the vulnerabilities that matter. With Outpost 24, you get the most complete view of your attack surface and threats targeting your organization, helping your security team understand what's real, what's dangerous, and what's important to fix in the environment right now. Application security, vulnerability management, cyber threat intelligence, they've got it all covered. They can even protect your remote workforce and critical data by blocking weak and almost already compromised passwords. Sign up for a free attack surface assessment from Outpost 24. Get insights into exposed domains and web applications, leaked credentials, and more. Sign up for your free attack surface assessment at smashingsecurity.com slash outpost24. That's smashingsecurity.com slash outpost24. 
Now, there's some big news from our sponsor, Collide. If you are an Okta user, they can get your entire fleet up to 100% compliant. How do they do that, you're asking yourself? Well, if a device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they fix the problem. It's that simple. Collide patches one of the major holes in zero-trust architecture, which is device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date. Unsecured devices are logging into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions on how to fix it. If they don't fix the problem, within a set time, they are blocked. Collide means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Visit collide.com slash smashing to learn more or to book a demo. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash smashing. Smashing security listeners, did you know that Bitwarden is the only open source cross-platform password manager that can be used at home, on the go, or at work? Bitwarden's password manager securely stores credentials spanning across personal and business worlds, and every Bitwarden account begins with the creation of a personal vault, which allows you to store all your personal credentials. These are unique and secure passwords for every single account you access. And it's easy to set up. It's easy to use. I honestly love Bitwarden. I use it at home, use it at work, use it on the go. Get started with a free trial of a Teams or Enterprise plan at bitwarden.com forward slash smashing. Or you can even try it for free across devices as an individual user. Check it out at bitwarden.com forward slash smashing. And thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring the show. And welcome back. And you join us at our favorite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something I like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. Doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. Well, my Pick of the Week this week is not security-related. My Pick of the Week was spurred by a listener. A listener got in touch with me. His name is Randall Stanley. Thank you, Randall. And he suggested this topic. Now, uh, we, we were talking about singing tortoises just now uh, in the Amazon or whatever. Um, thinking of singing tortoises, Paul McCartney. Um, obviously, these days... <laughs> Why do you looks call a bit them like tortoise? A, well, because, you know, obviously, I'm a huge fan of the Beatles, right? But I also recognise that Paul McCartney is 80 years old or 81 years old. He's getting on Is a he bit. younger than, than Biden or older? Uh, <laughs> oh, good question. I think he's... About the same. Anyway, whatever. He's, he's, a, he's old. He's an old geezer. And his voice is not that great. A couple of years ago, Paul McCartney, he's not putting his face on the front of his LP covers anymore. He tends not to appear in his videos. A couple of years ago, they actually made a deep fake video with a 1965 version of Paul McCartney rather than the old crotchety one. Probably to <laughs> appeal more to the kids. He made this video with Beck. Anyway, having done that, 
I discovered that in the last few weeks, something extraordinary has been happening with music and, dare I say it, Carole, AI as well. Oh, because yes. Is this like the Drake thing? What, what? What's the Drake thing? There's basically a rap duet that was done and one included a rapper and the other one was an AI of another very famous rapper. Oh. And it made it to number one before everyone started freaking out and taking it offline. So it was removed from TikTok, removed from oh. YouTube, removed from everywhere. And there's a big argument about copyright now. Like, do you own your sound of your voice? I was going to say, did they not have they not have the consent of the person who they AI'd? Oh, gosh, interesting. You are so cool, Carol, <laughs> knowing all this. I knew nothing about this. I just All I knew was Francis Drake and the uh, Amada. Didn't know anything about all this other music stuff that's going on. Anyway, someone has been using AI to enhance songs or create new versions of songs. And, for instance, they have sampled, taken thousands of samples of Paul McCartney singing, and they're using it to get him to sing other songs. So I have, for instance, oh. I've, I've listened to Paul McCartney singing Goodbye Yellow Brick Road by Elton John, and it's McCartney singing it. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I'll tell you one which I was really impressed by. Paul McCartney put out a song called I Don't Know four years ago at the age of oh. 76, and it's all right, it's okay song, but he sounds like an old man. What they did with AI was they got a Paul McCartney in his 1930s. 1930s? <laughs> Yeah, which is obviously when he was only 20, uh, Paul McCartney in his 30s to sing it. So they've redone the entire vocal track with a young Paul McCartney. And so you think, Whoa. oh, this is a much better song than I ever realised. Now now it's actually been sung properly. I also heard um, there have been some songs. There was a song which has also been released, which was a Paul McCartney song, which has now been augmented with John Lennon singing The Middle Eight. And in these situations, the guy is saying, this is AI generated. This is me just having fun and trying to produce cool stuff. Yes. It's yeah. all up front. It's all open. And no, no doubt, money's being made. Uh, <laughs> the lawyers, lawyers are going to jump on this <laughs> from a great height and stop it. But <laughs> yeah. I'm really impressed. I, I also had a Paul McCartney uh, singing God Only Knows by the Beatles, uh, by the Beach Boys. So there's all kinds of impressive stuff going on with AI. We haven't yet got Yoko singing anything in tune, which really will be the ultimate <laughs> test. Yoko alone. What? <laughs> Come on. It's great they've started on, on Paul McCartney. That is fantastic. But I just think there's, there's so much room for manoeuvre. I would love to hear Katy Perry doing Napalm Death. <laughs> you just want a big mashup. I do. I do. You know, Bjork doing Slayer. I just think... There's a lot of potential here. We're willing to push the boundaries of this. Let's not stop at Paul McCartney is my message to whoever's behind this. I don't think they're going to. I don't think they're going to. But, so I'm, I'm really impressed by the technology. All kinds of questions, as ever, um, as we've been raising all throughout this show. Twisted sister doing yellow brick road. <laughs> you know, it's... Um, anyway, so I'll put some links in the show notes if other people want to check them out and an article about some of the uh, videos which have already been produced by these clever, clever people before they get shut down. So if you want to check them out, you can. Wow. That's my pick of the week. Jeff, what's your pick of the week? Uh, my pick of the week is a podcast. I had a, a long and boring journey over the bank holiday weekend, and so I was asking on LinkedIn uh, for podcast recommendations, and people came up with some really, really uh, good stuff. On LinkedIn? On LinkedIn, yes. Okay. <laughs> I've started to come off Twitter. I'm not so keen now on Twitter for a whole variety of reasons. Oh. Um, mm. And so I've been embracing LinkedIn and it's been embracing me. 
Oh. oh. Anyway, but no, so they had podcast recommendations. And the favorite, the one that I picked that I really liked, I had a really good time listening to, um, was a podcast called The Evaporated, which is a really fascinating subject. I think this is what all the good podcasts, or ones I like anyway, do. They introduce you to a world that you didn't know existed. And you feel like, oh. Truckersucker.com, for instance. <laughs> oh, God. That introduced me to a world I didn't want to know anything about. Um, yeah, so The Evaporated is about people in Japan who uh-huh. disappear. I think I remember the figure rightly. It's something like 80,000 people what? go missing. It's some astonishing figure. I may have got that completely well, wrong. Well, how often? How, how, 80,000 what, in a century? Or in uh, no, a, no, like, a, like in a year. Like 80,000 a year? Yes. Now, but what's interesting is this, in this podcast, is they go into the reasons why and things about Japanese society that that mean that a lot of people want to go missing. So they go down the whole organised crime, Yakuza kind of route, there's also, very sadly, quite a lot of um, domestic violence and and familial abuse in Japan. And so there's quite a lot of women actually in the series who, or they reference a lot of women who want to escape the relationships and so on. And there's a whole industry of people called the night movers who will come along at night and move, basically move you out while while your husband or wife or your your people threatening you are you know remove oh, wow. you and what. Kill you or remove you and give you a whole new life? No, take, <laughs> no, the removal men girl. take you to a take you to a safe house. And there's these there's these little um the manga cafes. So manga, the comic books, uh, or sorry, graphic novels. I should refer them to them as they. All, those manga cafes often have little rooms in the back where you can stay, like cheap accommodation for people. So sometimes they'll ship you into a manga comic cafe where you can hang out and lay low for a while. Other times they'll just get you, you know, to a different location. You can try and get yourself a new identity. There's a whole culture of this that they go into. It's really good. It's by um, Jake Edelstein, who people might know from Tokyo Vice was his big um, uh, big book book, and Shoko Planbeck, who's his co-presenter, who also writes some of the episodes. It's really interesting. It's a really interesting little glimpse into not just a world that, uh, a country that I don't know a lot about, but yeah. also a world within it that a lot of people don't know about. Really good. How many episodes is it, Jeff? I think it was six or eight. It seemed like a limited run. It was, it's not like an ongoing one. So um, six or eight in that season anyway, and they've got other seasons. So. Well, sounds very interesting. Cool. Carol, what's your pick of the week? Uh, my pick of the week is the movie Tetris. Not the game, though the game is awesome. But the movie currently streaming on Apple TV+. And... This is probably not the type of movie I would watch just of having heard about it obliquely. I would just have assumed it was for kids or like that emoji movie. Tetris the movie. But my sister-in-law recommended it. And on the weekend during a lazy afternoon as it drizzled, we slapped it on. Yeah. And it's great. Our lead character is Hank. He's a Dutch-born gaming entrepreneur raised in the U.S. and now living in Tokyo with his family. Okay. That's where we kind of meet him in 88. And... He is trying to sell a self-designed game at a convention, and it's a bust, and his failure leads him to another stall where a Russian game called Tetris is being peddled. And he's immediately addicted and starts a quest to find out how he can become part of its inevitable success. So that's the story plot, and it's obviously based on a true story, although that always bugs me based on a true story. Like, what does that mean? You could tell me, Jeff, you have to use these terms. Like, how based on the real story does it have to be to be based? 1%? 10%? There is, there is a tremendous creative license right. uh, that you've got in that. I mean, based based how far back? Yeah. You, 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 the, thi- all, the only thing that arbitrates about how much liberty you can take is what you can get away with with the audience. If you really think you're going to annoy them. Yeah. 
Yeah. The movie is great because it's all about trying to get licensing rights, right? For the arcade, for the computer game and the, you know, handheld devices that are soon going to be hitting the streets. And Hank is, Hank, his name is H-E-N-K, right? Hank. He's like a beautifully computer nerdy, but also salesy and ballsy character. (laughs) And he's disarming as well. So he's really interesting to follow. And, you know, you've got all the greedy paws. You've got the Maxwell Empire trying to get its arm in there. Oh, you've yes. got Nintendo. You've even got members of the KGB playing more comic light roles and some more serious ones. But everyone's trying to get their because, mitts on a piece of the Tetris pie because they know it's going to be huge. Yeah, yeah. And because when this came out, the Soviet Union still existed. I yes. Think. Gorbachev is still in charge. So and it would be complicated, the intellectual property rights side, uh-huh. as to who's so going to make money out of this. Exactly. And obviously, it's, you know, Western scum, you know, capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> it's anyway, it's two hours of great fun. I really I, I was I was like, oh, OK, we'll do it. We'll see. We'll see. And I really, really enjoyed it. So did John. So uh, and it has super cute 8-bit graphics and some fab <laughs> like 80s fashion hey, and tunes. Cool. So my pick of the week is Tetris, streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. It gets two thumbs up from me. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Crow, and thank you, Jeff. Um, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online, find out what you are up to at the moment. Um, What's the best way for folks to do that, Jeff? Uh, Well, as I said, LinkedIn is probably the best way now. I'm Jeff with a G. Jeff with a G and white (laughs) like the colour. You'll find there all my stuff. Super duper. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G. Twitter and last have a G. And of course, we also have a Mastodon account. Look for us up there. And make sure never to miss another episode. You can follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast apps such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Overcast. Massive thank you to this episode's sponsors, Collide, Outpost 24, and Bitwarden. And of course, to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. For episode show notes, sponsorship info, guest lists, and the entire back catalog of more than 319 episodes check out smashingsecurity.com until next time cheerio bye 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 thank you very much jeff no problem no problem we always get some interesting tips and interesting stories from you guys it's good <laughs> well you know I, I i'm interested in this scam interceptor show that certainly sounds interesting i mean the jim brown in videos in the past have been extraordinary sometimes they have but like i say it's just this thing i suspect the reason they we don't know how they do it is because they don't want to tell us how they did it but on the other hand that does leave open the fact of well are you hacking and like i say i'm pretty sure the bbc's lawyer's answer would be no but it does raise this whole thing of like it, it makes other people say oh well it'd be fine to do it because they're doing it.